Welcome to the Student Ministry Matters podcast. We want to encourage, equip, and connect those with a passion to impact the next generation for Jesus Christ. Student ministry can be a lonely place. You might even feel like you're the only one in your church or community that cares about students. Well, know this, you're not alone. People all across the country are engaging Gen Z and care deeply about the spiritual direction of these young men and women. Whether you're full-time, part-time, bivocational, or volunteer, if you have a heart for students, this is the place for you. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Dan Carson, and today we are talking student ministry again. First of all, I have Micah Powell. Hey, guys. What's up? And Chris Vines. Good to be here, Dan. These guys are with me as usual, and I love our conversations as we work through some of the theoretical and some of the nuts and bolts of student ministry. Now, if you enjoyed today's podcast, let me encourage you to, to like, subscribe, and give us a rating and review. We're here for the paid and unpaid student ministry worker. We simply want to serve the full-time, part-time, bivocational, and volunteer student ministry workers that are out there. Now, I want to give a special shout-out to our friends in California. If you have listened to a few episodes, you've learned that the three of us, we are currently based in Arkansas. And we just found out that our second highest group of downloads is actually from California. And we'd love to hear from you if you are from outside of Arkansas. You can send us an email at info at studentministrymatters.com or you can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram or through our website. We just love uh, to hear from you so that we can connect. That's a part of who we are as an organization. Now, today we have a special treat for our listeners. Author, pastor, and CEO of Replicate Ministries, Chris Swain, is with us. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Hey, thanks, Dan. Uh, Excited to be here with you guys today. Well, Chris is our featured speaker for the 2020 Student Ministry Workers Retreat coming up on September the 12th. Now, as you may or may not have heard, this year's event is going to be online only. COVID-19 has kicked us all in the face this summer, and it's still forcing us to gather in ways that we don't really want to embrace. However, there is a great side effect. The Student Ministry Matters is making this year's event free for attendees. Uh, Chris will be sharing three times throughout the day, and we'll also have Zoom breakout groups that you can sign up for. And it's going to be a great day as we talk about discipleship. And so be sure to visit our website, studentministrymatters.com, and get registered today. We want to know that you're coming so we can plan, make sure we have enough groups and enough things set up so that we can just have a great day together. Now, Chris is the CEO of Replicate Ministries and serves at Long Hollow Baptist Church as the executive pastor of Disciple Making. After four years of service in the United States Marines, Chris served in full-time ministry for two decades in Arkansas, Florida, Texas, Georgia, and Tennessee, leading ministries ranging from students to collegiate to spiritual formation. Now, many, Most recently, Chris served as the Director of Student Ministry Publishing at Lifeway Christian Resources, serving the church in its mission of making disciples. Chris's heart is to expand the gospel through disciple-making in the local church. Chris is married and has two children. He's originally from Arkansas, and I believe that we even went to the same high school. Chris, I vaguely remember a conversation from Etch 2017. That's where we first met and talked. Um, I learned that you graduated in 1991. Is that correct? That is right. Yeah. Uh, Springdale High School, believe it or not, in Springdale, Arkansas. And uh, 1991 is when that took place. And it seems like a long time ago now, but I can remember it like it was yesterday. Go Bulldogs. That's all I have to say. (laughs) As a as a 1990 graduate of Springdale High School, uh, was one of those cool God moments when I found out that that's where Chris was from. Now, I am excited to have you on our podcast today and especially excited about what you're going to be sharing with our people in this year's Student Minister Workers Retreat. I've been listening to the Replicate podcast since coming across it a couple of years ago and believe that the approach that you and Dr. Robbie Gallaty have refined is um, one of those that of extreme value to our churches and to our student ministries. And let me let me just ask quickly: Should I call him Doctor Gallaty, Robbie, or Pastor? Yeah, I would. Uh, I think he would be fine with you called him uh, any of those except for Doctor Gallaty. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> he's not ashamed of his doctorate, but he's uh, he's much more of a personable guy. Likes to hang out, so Robbie would probably be fine. 
Well, what is great about podcasts is you guys have been speaking into my life for the last little bit, and I've had a chance to hear you. And in a lot of ways, I feel like I know you. I keep wanting to call him Dr. Gallaty, but uh, we'll call him <laughs> Pastor because <laughs> that's what I've heard that's, you call that's him. That's the go-to so. for me. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> well, today I really wanted to give our listeners an opportunity to get a chance to get to know you a little bit and learn some of the broad strokes of your approach to discipleship. In addition, we want to hear about your new book with, uh, with Pastor Gallaty. And so as we record this, we're looking ahead at a new school year across the country with so many uncertainties. At the beginning of lockdowns and of shelter-in-place orders, I saw your family on social media doing something that honestly looked like a lot of fun. We even talked about it, I think, a little bit on our podcast. Uh, with no March Madness to enjoy, you set up some brackets of your own. What, what did you do with that? Yeah. Well, you know, being in youth ministry obviously teaches you a lot. So I, I imagine everyone listening has has learned so many things. But one of the things that it absolutely does is it teaches you to get better at games and competition, right? Uh, every every facet of of ministry is instructs you and informs you in some area of your life. So I felt like we needed a fun family competition that we could share with the world, something that might take the place of March Madness, knowing that we weren't going to get to watch any games. So we went head to head with Little Debbie Snack and Cakes. Uh, those, those delicious and really bad for you uh, treats that just about everybody likes. And one of the things I've learned is Everyone has their opinion as to what is the best, um, whether it is, uh, you know, going to be something chocolate, something uh, that's not. Uh, I, I know for me, as, as we went through this challenge, each day we would eat, one, you know, two different choices and then our family would vote. And uh, as is probably the case in most families, one of our children was like always voting the opposite of what everyone else did. But that's why we had the majority uh, rule in there. But. Yeah, it was a, it was an incredible challenge. It was fun. I probably gained more weight than I needed to, but we had a ton of people chime in and uh, share their loving opinions with us that often differed from our own <laughs> throughout the process. Uh, so it was great. Yeah, we had our we had our little Debbie snack and cake March Madness uh, this year, and and it may be something we bring in every year if if, if my weight holds out. We might be able. That's to- <laughs> genius. Well, I know I, Pastor Robbie. He is he is a big guy, as in he just looks like a mountain of a man. And I know he must work out. And and so, did you pull him into that process? Any? Uh, no, believe it or not, he has a uh, even worse eating habit than me. Um, so he, he's already <laughs> ice cream is his favorite food, and and he loves Twinkies and cereal. So I'll let him you know give a defense for that. But when you have arms and <laughs> kids, you're allowed to say that. You know me. When you look at me, you just assume that I love cereal and Twinkies and Little Debbie's, right? So there's certainly a difference there. Well, I've got these other two guys here, and I've got for our listeners, Micah, Chris, what are your favorite Little Debbie snack cakes? What do you like? Nutty bars. Every day of the week. I can crunch those things up and put it in a thing of cereal and be happy. (laughs) How about you, Vines? Swiss cake rolls. Those things are pretty good. Absolutely. Well, hey, and by the way, Chris, I'm I'm just kind of scrolling. I'm 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 Facebook stalking you right now. You've got a lot of uh, sweet treats on your pictures on Facebook right now. I do. I do. I, well, what I like to do is share with the world. Like I blame my weight 100 on my wife. She is an amazing. <laughs> so uh, you know, I, I just have to point the finger at her. Honestly, if she didn't cook so good, I wouldn't look this big. My favorite has always been those. The zebra cakes. So I got to oh ask, uh, Chris, what was the the big winner? Well, the the final. Uh, everyone mentioned one on here that was in the final three, except you, Dan. Yours did not make it, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> and really, because it had some great early challenges, not because we didn't love zebra cakes, because we absolutely do. Uh, but it came down to oatmeal cream pie and nutty buddies for us. Yes. And, uh, yeah, and, and so, and really, honestly, depending on the day, it could have been either one. It ended up being oatmeal cream pie for us. But man, if it had been the next day, we might have gone with the Nutty Buddy. So it, it really just depended upon the day. And uh, and that day, oatmeal cream, pie, oatmeal cream pie took the win. One of the fun things about, if there's a fun thing to take out of what we've all been experiencing over these last several months, has just been some fun, family fun. And so I was glad to see that it, it prompted me to mention it uh, to some of the people in my life and hoping they'd pick up something like that and do 
and just enjoy each other. There's so many bad things that have been happening and moments that you get to spend with your family are just incredible. Well, appreciate you sharing that. I wanted to give our listeners, again, a chance to get to know you. And one of the best places to start is when we talk about your call to Christ, um, when when Jesus saved you, and then your call to ministry. So would you share that with us? Sure. Yeah, it was, uh, believe it or not, I was 16, almost 17 years old, and I had only been to church a few times. My parents uh, were, uh, I would say, somewhat religious, but not in church and certainly not practicing uh, their faith. And so uh, I just kind of grew up and I went with my grandmother from time to time or, or uh, an aunt, but never really in any way that was impactful or meaningful. And when I was 16, I was invited to church in, you know, uh, in high school. Um, by a friend who was going to get baptized. And I thought, you know, sure, I'll go watch you get baptized. So I went to church and and in going and connecting with that experience, um, I, it really exposed me to church in general and just a, a whole world that I had not experienced. You know, I didn't, like I said, I didn't grow up in church. So walking in for the first time and seeing a group of students my age singing and playing games and hanging out and someone teaching about the Bible, uh, it was just new to me. And so it took me a few months. But in the course of, of those few months, I really did get to hear the gospel, get to be around believers. And uh, one morning sitting in my Sunday school class, my Sunday school teacher asked, uh, shared the gospel and then asked the question um, if, if any of us needed to receive, you know, accept and follow Jesus. And uh, and I raised my hand. And I remember kind of the look on his face was in horror because he had he didn't know what to do next. You know, like, <laughs> we, we share, you know, we share the gospel a lot of times just expecting to kind of move on. And and so I uh, that day got on my knee, uh, professed Christ, began to follow Jesus, got baptized that night. And, and a few months later, really is about nine months later, I felt a specific uh, call to ministry in that same church and began to work with students right away. So even as a mm. senior in high school, I was a, a, a eighth grade Sunday school teacher. So at one point, my boss was actually one of the students from my Sunday school class, Ben Trueblood at Lifeway uh, Christian Resources. He runs student ministry up there. And and so I worked for him for a while. So it's kind of incredible uh, testimony there. But the big things that I remember about my testimony, just to encourage those leaders listening, is invitation is so big. You never know what God is going to do with an invitation. And uh, at the same time, investing in those we invite is so crucial. Uh, we don't want to you know, turn our students into uh, just mules to get people there. You know, we don't, we don't want to see them as a ticket to a new face. At the same time, we want to encourage them to, to reach out and invite. But once we get those individuals that have been invited in our ministry, investing in them in such a way that they feel cared for and loved and obviously shared the gospel with. So uh, it, it was an exciting time for me just because it was so new. And I remember my passion for the Lord then and many times since just, you know, a return to that excitement and fervor for ministry and God's blessed since then. Uh, uh, went in the Marines shortly after that, got out and began to step into serving with students and really did student ministry on a volunteer level since 1991. And then in full-time ministry, you know, from about 98 to about 2010, 2011. And so uh, even when I went to Lifeway after that, that time frame, it was working with student ministry. And, and my belief is, if you're a student leader, you know this, if you can lead in student ministry, you can lead in any area of the church, you know, because you're not just doing what mm. a pastor might do. You're not just doing what uh, some of the other ministries might do. You're doing it all. You know, you're, you're, you're speaking and leading and planning and administrating and overseeing so much. So I've always felt like student ministry leaders are multifaceted leaders with, with tons of talent and the ability to do so much. And that's why I think you do see a lot of leaders in the church who began as student ministry leaders uh, rise up because they have learned that there, there's so much more that they can do. And so it's exciting. That, that's kind of the testimony in a nutshell. I had a recent conversation with our director of missions, and he said that so many church planters have their start in student ministry. And I thought, oh, okay. And it, but it makes sense again, because as a student pastor, uh, you know, Chris uh, Vines joked about it, <laughs> you know, of all the things that he did in the church right before we started recording, you know, it, we've all been there. If you work with students and you're on staff, you're usually that second guy. So you are carrying, well, dur during COVID, 
in our smaller, more normative sized churches, uh, we are the tech people. <laughs> and yeah, so we're having to figure yeah. out everything. So, well, and, and how many times have you heard uh, someone trying to hire the role of the student pastor worship leader slash, oh, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, hey, you can worship. You're a student pastor, and it's kind of funny because when you get together with other student pastors, a lot of times someone will pull out a guitar, and you're like, "Oh, of course, you're a student pastor. Of course, you can worship." You know? <laughs> yeah, I'm a lesser student pastor for that very reason. <laughs> I bet you can set. I bet you're an incredible setup guy. Well, I certainly can. Uh, I can convince other people to do things that I uh, I wouldn't do. Does that count? Leadership one hundred and one. That's right. Well, let's let's kind of move on. I, I want to know uh, about. I know you've you've mentioned some of your time in student ministry. Can you share maybe a couple other lessons that you learned along the way? Yeah, I mean, student ministry again. I would say is foundational for me just because of the amount of time I spent in it, and most of the time I served in four different churches in student ministry, four very different contexts, Florida, Texas, um, Arkansas, and a couple of different contexts there. And so it's within that, within those different moments of service to students, one of the things that I learned is oftentimes you're looked at as someone that is either A, a babysitter, um, and we know we all know that's not true, but we, we're looked at that at that way in, at some time. And and yeah. then another thing that we're often looked at is the the one who's kind of maybe most connected into growth for the church, because there are a lot, as you know, statistically, most uh, believers come to Christ in, in that age frame of under eighteen. Um, so through kids and student ministry specifically. And so oftentimes it's just a, a point of, hey, you're either a babysitter or you're the guy who's the most evangelistic on our staff because of those you minister to. And so the challenges I think that we face uh, as student ministry leaders is to really look beyond those two things. I don't know of any student leader who would be satisfied saying, yeah, I'm a glorified babysitter. None of us want to, to wear that moniker. We want to we want to invest in the lives of students. We want to invest in families. We want to see God do great things, or else we would go do something else and maybe be a babysitter, right? We would take another job somewhere right. and feel that God was really uh, blessing and glorifying what He is doing through us in, as a student ministry leader. So, one thing that I, I, I learned in my student ministry, and it took it took a while to get there. Um, because I just was so new to the church in general and I didn't grow up in church. So I didn't experience that side of it is, is to invest in families and students. You know, I mentioned this a little bit earlier. It's one thing to get them there. It's another thing to truly invest in them. And I feel like ministry, um, in 2020, especially in 2020, but for sure beyond 2020 is, has got to be focused on investing in the people we have. And, and by investment, I don't mean cranking out more programs. I don't mean implementing more studies and, and more and more and more. I mean building those relationships with parents and building those relationships with students. That, that investment is the most important thing you can do as a student pastor and student leader. And I think those challenges that go with that investment are what you need to work on. That's what I need to work on as a leader is how do I grow that area of ministry? Because we can all become better communicators. We can all become better teachers. Uh, we can hone our skills in, in figuring out how to do events and, and manage all of the programming for student ministry. But the thing that is, I think, most vital is is that investment, because the honest truth is people will rarely remember what you say. They'll always remember how you made them feel. And it's not about us making them feel good. It's about us making sure they understand that we do care. And through the relationship vehicle, they're able to see who Jesus is. And so I think that's crit critical and very crucial. Uh, the second thing that I would kind of lean into today to just, uh, you know, as I reflected on my time in student ministry and the way I look at it now is we've got to think long term. Um, one of the biggest challenges in student ministry is, is seen as a stepping stone by everybody. You know, the pastor sees you thinking, OK, he'll do student ministry two, three, four, you know, maybe 10 years at most. And then he'll step into real ministry, quote unquote. Right. <laughs> we, we know that's not true, but that's the way it feels at times. And, and I would even say the parents, you know, they yeah, you're going to be a student minister for a while. And then you'll go be a real pastor or whatever, whatever the thought might be. Um, and, and I don't have a cynical view, by the way, of student ministry uh, or of parents or of pastors. I just think that's a general mindset is you'll be a student pastor for a while and then you'll go plant a church and then you'll become a worship pastor and then you'll become a senior pastor or whatever. But the reality is as student leaders, whether volunteer, whether called full time in ministry, 
we have to think about the long-term impact of the ministry that we're doing. Because the reality is you will not see maybe a lot of results immediately. But the satisfaction, I know you've experienced this, Dan, of looking at someone who you invested in 20 years ago and maybe just even watching them from time to time on social media and how God's using them to make a huge impact. That's what we're after. That's what we want to see happen. And that is how we have to be, and that is why we have to be intentional now to see those long-term results. And so uh, a big, a big part of that mindset and it's tough is to not see yourself again, as what we mentioned before, as a babysitter or as a, uh, kind of a numbers generator. And and the truth is, I think we become much, much happier and satisfied with our ministry when we do invest long-term. And we're thinking not about how long you may be at the church or how long your investment is going to be at the church, but what God is doing in your life, through your life, towards those families, towards those parents, and towards those students. That's, that. I mean, I think that at its essence is what we're supposed to be doing as we equip our people to uh, to do the work of the ministry. There is a great deal of, of relationship in what you shared, and that's that it's so key and so foundational. Um, but also, it's re- relationships or, or what discipleship is all about. And uh, you, that's what you're going to be sharing with us as we move uh, towards that student ministry workers retreat, talking about discipleship and s- discipleship in the student ministry. Um, I know that pours out of a a big place in your heart. Um, just recently, you and Pastor Robbie uh, released a, a new book together um, about the Replicate ministry. And so what are some of those big principles um, behind that approach to ministry, um, even or even about that book that you might share with us? Yeah. So one of the things that we've done with Replicate is we have really kind of gone back. And Pastor Robbie did this when he started the ministry. And and obviously, as I came on and eventually became the CEO of the ministry, have fully invested myself in it. And really, it's it's stuff that you've probably done, um, and I have probably done in the past, but just not as intentionally. And it is uh, it's really built around this concept of the discipleship pathway, and uh, that, that's just kind of a, a a bigger term set in place to describe the way Jesus did his ministry. And one of the things that I think is so interesting is. Jesus gave us a template for how to do ministry, right? I mean, think of the things he, he taught us to do. He taught us how to pray. He taught us how to love people. He taught us how to walk with people. He taught us how to teach. Um, I mean, there's so many things Jesus taught us, obviously. Why in the world have we missed, I believe we have, have we missed how to do ministry the way Jesus uh, did ministry? And so what the discipleship pathway is, it just kind of looks at uh, how Jesus did ministry. You know, he ministered in the crowds. He ministered to the congregation, the 120, you know, towards the end of his ministry, we see the the 72. He ministered to the 12, and then he ministered to that smaller group of, of Peter, James, and John, the three. And so we look at these four different areas of ministry, and we can really easy, uh, easily, I should say, lay that on top of our student ministries and, and our church ministries to say, okay, well, we've got a congregation. That's That's nothing new. We probably have Sunday school or small groups in our church. That's that group of 12. And we do things where we're ministering to the crowds. We're being missional. We're going out. We're doing maybe large programs or we're serving our community or we're going overseas. We're, we're getting into those three areas. And, and in some ways, we're doing that well. Some ways, we may need more help. But the one area that I really believe we've missed, and it's kind of the, the capstone of the Replicate ministry, it's the capstone at the center of our book, Replicate, is that discipleship group, that small group of three to five, um, specifically set apart for two things that I don't think happens anywhere else anywhere else in ministry, at least not very effectively, and that is accountability and multiplication. You know, one of the struggles we see in ministry is we want our ministry to multiply. We want our small groups, our Sunday school classes to multiply, but yet we struggle with that. If you ask any group leader, uh, whether it's a student leader or it's just, you know, the church minister of education or, or whatever role, generally groups do not multiply nearly at the rate we wish they would. You know, we teach them to to birth a new group or launch a new group or plan a new group. We use all that language. But the reality is our groups are not doing that. And, and I believe the reason is those types of groups were not intended to do that. They weren't intended to. And, and, and let me explain that. I do think you should see multiplication in groups, but you should see multiplication in groups 
that are intended for multiplication. Because if you think about what's happening in that group of 12 that Jesus was with, did that group multiply? You know, ask yourself that question. Did the 12 disciples multiply? Well, obviously we think they did. And if you look at the scripture, they didn't immediately when Christ left, but they they went out and they began to do ministry. And so there's some things that happened, but in that in that smaller group of three to five, Peter, James, and John, that's where we feel like that what we would call a discipleship group and replicate, we can see exponential multiplication and high accountability. When you're in your Sunday school class, when you're in your small group, you're probably not asking the deep, challenging questions to those in your group. And the reason being is you've got a lot of different people in there. Oftentimes you've got co-ed uh, classes. So men and women, girls, you know, students, you, you're going to have guys and girls in there. And and the challenge with that is there are just some questions you probably shouldn't ask in those types of groups, right? But there are some things that you can walk through when it's three to five. It's a specific period of time. It's high accountability and it's focused on multiplying. And so we, I would just say to summarize a really uh, fairly large book, it's about 300 pages. Um, it's, it's pretty much a ministry strategy book uh, for the individual to make disciples and for a minister to make disciples. And so that's kind of the, the basics of it. If, if you want to look at the, the strategy side of it, I would say kind of the big mission or vision of it is Jesus called us to make disciples and we do so many other things <laughs> with our ministries. And, and so we just really want to call leaders back to doing what Jesus commanded us to do in the Great Commission. And we are really passionate about that. You know, when I talked about earlier, Dan, you mentioned this, the relationships and thinking long term, that's all an outflow of discipleship and discipleship first. And so uh, that, that's a big part of it. And then, and then understanding evangelism through the lens of discipleship. You know, we're highly evangelistic and we believe you should be sharing the gospel. The problem is we don't have an area of accountability in our church most of the time where we hold people accountable to sharing the gospel. So we tell them to do it, right? We challenge our kids to do it in student ministry. We challenge our parents to do it. We challenge our congregations to do it. But there's no context really in which we hold them accountable to do it. So if you look at all of the successful evangelistic uh, strategies of the past, you know, evangelism explosion was around Dan when you and I were young yeah. in ministry. Uh, and you you look at life uh, as a strategy. Three circles is a, is kind of a more modern current strategy. All those are great mm-hmm. strategies. Nothing's wrong with the strategy, but what worked for each of those is that they came back and were accountable to what they shared. And so that's why we would say, without this discipleship group mechanism, without the accountability you find in that type of group. You're not going to share the gospel as effectively because no one's asking you, who are you praying for? How can we pray for you? Who have you shared with? How did that go? And so I would say uh, that is a key part of how we're supposed to be both disciple makers um, as evangelists and as discipleship leaders. As you think in terms of student ministry, how is this applied towards your church? I know that Long Hollow is, of course, a bigger church than perhaps the church I'm at. Um, but is this mindset implemented in that, in that case? Yeah. So uh, at Long Hollow, we have uh, gone to extreme lengths to make the discipleship pathway visible and understood. And so we teach it, obviously, in our new members class. We have it visibly around the campus. Uh, when you walk into our student ministry facility and you go into our worship uh, setting in there, it's got all four of these uh, discipleship pathway elements visually displayed around the room. So it's, it's built in um, and our students see it and we teach on it and we talk about it. You know, every time we talk through anything we do, your next step is a group. Your next step is a discipleship group. Your next step is to be doing missions. It's, it's constantly thinking, you know, it's front of mind for us as leaders. And so we're plugging it in both visually around our campus, but then also strategically. So every time we do anything in ministry, we're asking ourselves this question, Dan, what is this an on-ramp to? on the pathway. And if it's not an on-ramp to something on the pathway, then we're probably going to scrap it. And so, you know, can we still do a lock-in? Heaven forbid, but let's say the answer is yes. (laughs) Let's say there's a saint out there who still, who wants to do a lock-in and, uh, and I'm sure there is nothing against lock-ins for you guys if you, if you love them, but uh, I personally struggle uh, as I get older, even more more so. Right. And, uh, but the question is, what is the end result? of that lock-in? What is the on-ramp to ministry? Is it to say, man, we had a hundred kids come to this lock-in. 
Is it to say, man, we had five people trust Christ at this lockdown? Yeah, those can be good metrics, especially salvation. Obviously, you want to lead people to Christ. But if that is the end result, then we've missed it. You know, we, we, we're we looking at something that is a one-time event that we can kind of see go away, and it has no practical purpose for helping people move along the pathway. So what we would say is, hey, take that lock in, and maybe there's an invitation for salvation there, but also how does it on-ramp them to plugging into life groups, Sunday school, to launching a discipleship group, to being more missional? And where in the pathway can we put that event so it makes more sense to the holistic process of our ministry and not so much as just another calendar event so students, so parents think we're doing something? You know, Not that anyone's ever put anything on the calendar with that in mind. Chris Vines, you got something? One, I just want to say I'm, I'm looking forward to reading the book Replicate. Um, but Chris, I, I'm, I'm wondering, how would you differentiate this book from a previous book that Pastor Robbie wrote called Growing Up? Sure. Yeah, we actually wrote Replicate as a result of the usage of Growing Up. So one of the challenges with Growing Up is it focuses on kind of pastor's mm-hmm. story, testimony, and it, and it elaborates on the need to make disciples, but it doesn't necessarily give you that ministry-focused strategy to do so. Okay. So I think anyone can pick up growing up and get a heart to make disciples and even learn a few things about kind of how the discipleship group might uh, come together. But I think what happens with Replicate is it goes so much further to map out the process uh, yeah. beyond that individual group and beyond that one one piece of the puzzle to show how everything does fit together, to show how on route, on ramps can happen, to show how you personally, uh, we have a big section that deals with you individually as a leader and your soul care, uh, to show how this problem came about that we found ourselves in anyway. And then we we literally go through the, the pathway and there's two or three chapters on each section. Uh, one piece of it has four chapters, I think even dedicated to it. And then we elaborate on how to gauge success. So not just saying, hey, let's put this into place, but how do we know we're winning with it? How do we know this is a success? How do we, how do we gauge success of spiritual growth? Because typically it's been attendance, uh, salvation numbers, baptism numbers, we're succeeding. Well, you know, you and I both know that while those are great things, and I don't want to diminish those in any way, that's not necessarily telling us that we're winning. You know, that's giving us a number and that can be good. But if you look at the statistics, specifically in the SBC in the last 20 years, we have gained zero people. We baptized 7 million and we've gained zero. So so those statistics are hard to get around when it comes to our process and how we do ministry. Clearly, we have baptized and led people to Christ with the 7 million stat. But if the SBC has not grown at all, matter of fact, it's declined if you look at the numbers uh, slightly over that time, something has got to change. And we would say that it's that investment, it's that discipleship group element that has got to be the piece. Yeah, that's good. So just growing up seems to be the, the, the book with the philosophy behind the process and then replicate would be the, the field guide, so to speak. Yes, I would say it's a much more practical, much more of a handbook. Um, There's not a lot of fluff. I I mean, there's not a lot of fluff in growing up either, but there is more of that, like you're saying, that philosophical approach, whereas replicate is the nuts and bolts of how to get it done. Yeah, no, that's cool, man. Micah, do you have a question for Chris? I'm made of questions, man. Chris, I got to meet you three years ago at uh, the Discipleship Blueprint uh, conference y'all put on maybe 2017. Okay. You were the MC. So you were the guy walking around with the microphone as we were people were drilling a pastor with question after question. But man, I, we we walked away with just incredible insights. And one one of the questions I, I think that would be great for people that are listening, a good question for people, I think I think is this. I think um, you know, say that they're uh, a church is growing numerically, and they ask that question: Do we really need discipleship? Uh, and say that they maybe are more in the mainstream of churches. Uh, well, yeah. I guess what, what would you, what, what's the real need of discipleship in a church that, that kind of feels like they've got discipleship figured out because people come to, you know, a, this production sure. based church. What, what, what do you think? Yeah. What would you say to well, something think, like that? I, I think there's, there's several historical examples of churches that are doing have done exactly what you just mentioned. And I would say one that's probably more recent than others, or at least more recognizable would be Willow Creek. 
And so that church had grown exponentially numerically over time. And for a period of time, it was kind of like the go-to, man, if you want to be a growing church, this is the one you need to check out. Now, obviously, this is all minus the recent revelations of the <laughs> of the leadership and things like that. But uh, not to go down that road, but just to just to say, hey, here's a church where it's growing by hundreds, it's growing by thousands, and people want to experience it. Um, and then early uh, in the early 2000s, mid-2000s, they came out with a report to show that as things tailed off, they did not invest in a discipleship manner and they paid the price for it in the way their congregation, uh, the, the condition their congregation was in. Meaning, yes, they had gathered large crowds, but they did not disciple those crowds. And so one of the things that I will say is every major uh, and, and blowing and going church where you go, man, this church just seems to be growing and growing and it's incredible. It, there, there comes a, a tail end of that growth. And, uh, and some churches you look at now, you look at 10 years, Dan and I can tell you of churches that, you know, exploded, completely fell, <laughs> you know, uh, top to bottom. And you probably have some examples too. Those who are listening, you can probably think of some churches, man, for a while, they were just exploding. I remember one of the churches I served at in Arkansas. I mean, for a time, it was like you couldn't hold back the growth. And then that growth stopped and then declined and then plateaued. And so and plateau and decline is kind of the standard. And so I think the challenge is we can fool ourselves. And this goes back to the lesson I learned in student ministry. I shared earlier. We can fool ourselves by filling a room really easily. You know, uh, I've heard someone say before, you can start a fight in a Walmart parking lot and draw a crowd, but that's not a ministry model I want to emulate, right? So I think that the difference is, and to answer that question, Micah, is what kind of eternal impact do you want to have? Do you want to have a bunch of people who've said yes to Jesus, but kind of hung out at the kiddie pool until they died to go be with him? Or do you want to have uh, disciples that you have equipped so that they can go out and make disciples elsewhere? And, and their spiritual growth is just as important as the numeric growth of the church. And so in saying all that, my, my goal is not to slam any type of church or any individual church, not even Willow Creek. Just that's an example that they actually gave. You know, they pinpointed the fact that, in, you know, in a study of their own ministry, that they had failed in growing their people while simultaneously growing their numbers. So I would say the investment of discipleship in your people, that is that growth relationship that you're trying to see happen. That is that is truly us equipping the saints. I mean, think about it this way. If everyone showed up this Sunday, every single person on your membership role, which I, I'm sure CIA can't even find half of those folks, but let's say they all showed up one Sunday to serve and said, we're ready to serve today. Well, in about 10 minutes, you'd have every position you need filled at the church. And then what do you do with the rest of them? So we can't think of service as how we accomplish our ministries at our church, right? What is, what is our primary mission? It's to make disciples. Well, that's why the discipleship group model in my mind that Jesus gave to us is so critical is because that is a ministry everyone can do at all times. And that is a ministry everyone should be doing. They don't necessarily even have to be trained to do it. Hey, read your Bible, walk through life with these three or four people, be intentional, be accountable and multiply. I mean, I think there's uh, the, the challenge with this is most people, Micah, see this as a, a program. Here's another new thing that's fresh off the, you know, fresh out that's exciting that we haven't been doing. Let's try it for a while and see if it works. If that is your approach to discipleship groups, please don't try it. Please don't do it. It will not work. It will not work for you. Uh, you'll 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 move through it just as quickly as you move through whatever the last, you know, fresh new thing was that you you did for a few years and quit. This has got to be something that is an investment of the leadership to believe that they can make a huge change in the lives of those they're leading by equipping them to be to be ministers of the gospel and and to make disciples the way Jesus called them to make disciples. So that'd be my answer to that. Just a short answer to that one. <laughs> well, in the real, I got two questions, but the next one, you know, I've been definitely guilty of the, those numbers, really focusing on those numbers because, and really, I think young student pastors are may, maybe trained that way. I, I'm not sure, you know, and, and not that we don't want to call out anybody, but there's a lot of students and student pastors that maybe that may listen to this, and and you know, what, what's some advice you would give them to protect them from uh, some of those programmatic driven things, and and what yeah. would you say specifically, you know, like what what's some key things that you would just want to list, tell these students and these student workers, 
you know, what's something they can do to protect themselves from that this manner of yeah. thing we're talking about? I'd say, first of all, the numbers are not bad. And knowing the numbers and growing the numbers is not a bad thing. When it, when it becomes bad is when that's all we do. When, when the focus of our ministry is to hit a certain number on a Sunday or a Wednesday, if that's our end, and I know there's nobody out there who will admit to that. <laughs> you know, no one's going to say, <laughs> you know, raise their hand and say, oh, that's all I'm doing. But you and I both know, having served in ministry for more than a week, there are those weeks where you're like, man, this is, uh, we're, we're, we're struggling. There's a three-week trend of being down 10%. We need to do something. How are we going to turn this around? And, and churches where you have the weekly meeting and you're looking at the attendance and it's not tracking in the direction you want. Um, I get all that. And, and my challenge to you there is you're still, if you're serving at a church with that expectation and God has you there, then that's an expectation you need to step up and meet because God's got you there working with the leadership over that church. And he's a, I believe he's a sovereign God who leads us to be at the place we're at. If, you, if you've obeyed him and you're serving there. So you have to be obedient to that call. And if that means you're, you know, part of your challenge is, is growing those numbers. Well, you've got to do it. What I would argue, Micah, is that the true growth is going to be experienced through effective discipleship. In other words, if I train five or six other leaders to make disciples and then they go out and multiply the next year, that natural numeric growth is going to happen. And for a while, you may find yourself between the two. Man, we've still got to be trying to figure out how to get numbers in the room here. But on the flip side, I'm building this engine that is eventually going to take control and blow up. Because as you look at the numbers and multiplication, um, and, and, and as you watch how multiplication happens, um, I think one of the things that, that we, we can all agree on is multiplication is always greater than addition. And mm. so, you know, whether I add 10 kids a week through whatever strategy, that's going to hold out for a while, but obviously that will top off at some point. But if I'm constantly training students to multiply themselves, eventually, you know, and I think if you look at the numbers and do the math within six, seven years, you're reaching millions on the one hand or, or tens of thousands on the one hand, whereas you've only reached a, a couple thousand on the other hand. And so, uh, you know, math is very difficult to argue with. Now, the challenge is the amount mm -hmm. of time it takes to get there, obviously. And so it's the patience. So as a leader, you have to navigate those two things. You have to decide, I'm going to put in a system that is what Jesus has called us to do because I know it's going to work and I know it's what he's emulated for us. But I still have to operate within the parameters of what my leader has called me to do, what my church expects. And so I think having an open, candid conversation with your leadership as to what you're attempting to do while navigating the two sides of that is crucial. And it's not easy. I mean, if I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not saying, hey, here's the easy new path to go down. I'm just saying it's, in my opinion, the biblical and right path to go down, right? Yeah, man, that's that's awesome stuff. And uh, my follow up question, my last question uh, that, that I had really just because this is my discipleship is my favorite thing, man. Like I like relationships. I like football. I like video games. But dude, brother, man, I love discipleship. It is my favorite thing. And so kind of a question within that, you know, what is working for a disciple making or disciple minded church done for your personal walk with Christ? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I've actually never had that question. So that's 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 a first. Uh, <laughs> I sit through a lot of Q&As. So, um, man, <laughs> I would say for me, it's been exponential personal growth. And, and it's the same reason that discipleship groups are so effective. For the first time in a long time, I'm being held accountable to certain things. And as a believer, it's just taken for granted that Dan Carson reads his Bible on a consistent basis. Yeah. It's taken for granted that Dan Carson has a personal flourishing relationship with Christ. Man, I hope that's the case. But if I'm honest with you, I'm not at Dan's house and I'm not asking Dan every week what's going on in his life. And I'm not asking Dan to talk about how he lived out what he read. And so I would say on the microcosm level, that's how every discipleship group feels. But in answer to your question, that's what it's done for me personally as a leader. It's a refreshing ministry to be in when I know I'm walking the way God wants me to walk. And I've got guys around me who are emulating that and expecting that from me. And so it's just been a really uh, it's been a really cool experience to be in a ministry setting where there's mutual accountability and pursuit of Christ. I mean, I don't know any leader out there, you know, anyone listening right now who doesn't want to be growing closer to Christ in an exponential way that, that eclipses that, that passion they first had when they stepped into ministry. Um, and so I would, I would argue that that's kind of how it's been for me um, in, in this last few years of working with Replicate. Man, that's awesome. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. 
For sure. Chris, I have uh, one other question that I'd really like for you to touch on before we wrap up today. Many of those of us that are listening are we're out here. Um, we're the second guy or we're the third guy, we're, you know, somewhere down the list. I remember being at one church. I was the gopher. That's what I felt like. Um, <laughs> my, my question for you is, say we become convicted and convinced that this is the right approach for our ministry while we're serving at whatever church we're at. How do we handle that? How do we navigate that as we're not the lead pastor? but we feel like this is what God wants for our ministry there at that church. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, Dan. And I think uh, that is where a lot of student ministry leaders find themselves on a lot of issues. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, discipleship being one, but it might be, man, I really wish we could go. I, I don't know of a single uh, student leader uh, or really any second chair leader at a church who's not the main pastor who hasn't looked at another church longingly at some element of their ministry and thought, man, I wish we could do that here or has, has prayed through or read a book and got excited and thought, Hey, you know, Hey pastor, I want to go down this road. Oh, we're not going to go down that road. So it's a challenge. And and I think there's a couple ways that I would answer that one. I would always caution every leader, myself included to be a David and not a Saul, you know, uh, no matter, and I'm not saying that to say that your leaders are a Saul, because I don't think they all are. But David never threw a spear back. He always pursued Christ and he always stayed in what he knew was God's will, because the reality is God appointed Saul, right? God, uh, Saul was God's leader. And so uh, David treated Saul like God's leader, even as he was coming to kill David. So my, uh, hopefully you're not going through that with your leader, right? But, but I would say, first of all, our heart has got to be the heart of David, where we are pursuing Christ, pursuing God, allowing God to work, trusting God, even when it is a challenging scenario where we potentially might look at our leader and think, man, I wish we could go a different direction. Well, here's the reality. God's put that leader in place. God is sovereign and that leader's made the decision. So, you know, obviously we can argue our points. We can prayerfully and humbly come with our opinion and strategy. But at the end of the day, we've got to honor what God's called us to do, or we've got to leave that church. I mean, those are the two options. So let's just say you're staying, which I hope you do, <laughs> and toughen it out in a tough situation. And you want to go down the road of discipleship and, and discipleship groups, and your leader is not on board with that. My suggestion is this, uh, you personally can start your discipleship group. You know, that's not a, a job oriented thing. You, you know, Dan Carson can find your five, four or five guys and say, hey, for this next year, this next nine months, we're going to walk together through, we're going to read these passages. We're going to meet, we're going to hold each other accountable. We're going to talk about what God's doing in our life. We're going to pray together. And then we're going to multiply at the end of that time. There's no, you know, person in charge that can say, hey, you can't do that, right? <laughs> that's that's your life personally as you pursue Christ as a believer. Forget ministry, just as a believer. So one, you do it yourself. And then two, what I like to say when it comes to this is the proof is in uh, the end result, I should say, is in what you, you see happening. So I've seen churches where the staff wasn't on board and the staff didn't even know about it. And the lay people came asking for space because they're, they were multiplying and their groups were growing. And the church staff were like, what's happening? What are you doing? And they actually th said, let's go all in on this. This is amazing. Um, I've seen churches where pastors have outright told their, their student guy or their next level guy, we're not going to do this at this church. It's not the kind of church we are. Um, so I've seen those types of responses. None of those responses absolve us from the call that Christ has put on our lives to make disciples. So Dan and Micah and Chris and anyone listening out there, you are called to make disciples. And I recommend that you figure out how you're going to do that in your own context. Obviously, I suggest the model we present and replicate. So you do that. You find some other people who want to do that. And then I would argue that even if your pastor says, hey, you can't do this in, in a programmatic way in our ministry, I think you can have some of those conversations say, well, let's say we don't do it, you know, full on the way you're, you're you, you know, I want to be honorable to, to your leadership and follow up, but is it, can I find some of our key leaders and have them do it? Maybe just show you, hey, in light of what we're doing, this is going to be a strategy that I think is going to be helpful. And then maybe you're working slower at it, but you're showing the result. Because here's the reality, Dan, at the end of the day, when uh, a lay person walks into the pastor's office and sits down and says, man, I've been more challenged, I've grown more than I ever have in my faith, and I'm more excited about what God's going to do as he's been maturing me these last two or three months in this discipleship group I was in. 
about three or four of those conversations deep, your pastor begins to change his heart. You know, that leader, whether it's the pastor, it could be Minister of Education, whatever, they begin to see the evidence of what's taking place. So I would say you can make disciples, period. Now, whether you do that in your church as a strategy of your church, you know, you're submitting to the authority of your leadership. But even within that context, it may not be, hey, I'm going to fully implement this the way I want to. It may be I'm going to slowly implement this and we're going to see what God does. And then you prayerfully see where God takes it. Well, discipleship is pretty important. It's it's the main thing. You know, Jesus made disciples. We need to be about what Jesus was about. Um, well, Chris Vines, do you have any other questions that you'd like to add? Yeah, I've got one. Uh, and this is an easy one, Chris. Uh, I noticed, again, I told you, I Facebook stalked you like a, a good podcaster would, I guess. But uh, I noticed in the background of one of your pictures, there was a disc golf catcher. So are mm. you a disc golf? Are you a disc golf fan? I'm a big disc golf fan. As a matter of fact, uh, I got I got to be a part of the notorious group that had a disc golf course put in at our church in Springdale. We just had a nine basket course put in on our campus here at Long Hollow. I love it, man. I'm out as much nice. as I can. Awesome. Well, man, it's it's a it's a recent uh, hobby of mine. I'm, I'm about four months in, and and we have some people who listen to this podcast who I know are awesome. big disc, disc golfers. And so, anyway, that was just an easy question to to kind of finish our time. But anyway, I thought it was cool, man. So maybe maybe we can catch up and play sometime. For sure. At some point, we got to get out there and throw. <laughs> Come on up to Northwest Arkansas. We can go on that actual course that he's referring to. So (laughs) thanks again for joining us today, Chris. Um, If anyone wants to learn something more about you and about the ministry of Replicate, where should they start? Yeah, you can uh, just go to replicate.org, replicate.org. And that's got, uh, you know, if you want to get our reading plan, read about how how the discipleship groups work. Uh, I like to tell people everything we teach, uh, you don't have to buy anything ever. We've got the resources on the site. Obviously, if you want more information and you do want to purchase a book or whatever, you can get that information there as well. Uh, But replicate.org is kind of the hub that houses all the stuff that we do, whether it's resources, training, podcasts, books, and and, and all that. You can find it located there. And I would totally recommend their podcast. Um, Pastor Robbie and Chris spend a lot of time talking about some of these concepts and how they can be implemented in your church. And I'm very excited that Chris is going to be a part of our student ministry workers retreat. Mm -hmm. And so you'll be wanting to look for that. Thanks for joining us at Student Ministry Matters today. We would love to hear from you and find out that you're registered for the 2020 Student Ministry Workers Retreat. You can find out more information online at studentministrymatters.com. And so we just want to encourage you to do that. And we want to say, have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Student Ministry Matters podcast. Get connected at studentministrymatters.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Student Ministry Matters. Until next time, keep up the great work with your students because the work matters.